In just a few short weeks, Anthology Together is bringing you the best of ed tech at the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin Resort in Orlando, Florida. Join the global education community to hear about what's next in the future of learning, get a first-hand look at the latest innovations, and discover new insights to help both your institution and students achieve their goals. The future of learning is here, and there's no better place to see it than at Anthology Together 2022. The event kicks off on July 11th, so register today at www.anthology.com together. Unmuddle helps your community college to drive enrollments and revenue. Community colleges help with workforce development programs to compete on a national and global scale, offering those services to employers. It's time for a new era in higher education. Check out Unmuddle at unmuddle.com slash colleges and claim your college for free. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Ed Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Dr. Joe Salustio here with you again, uh, 400 and something uh, episodes of the Ed Up Experience at this point. Um, and I will tell you that uh, every single time I do it, it's as interesting as the first time that we did it, probably better now than we than used to. If you want to go back and see how much we've evolved, you can go back and listen to the original episode that Elvin and I did that is horrible. It's so bad. Um, you know, it's, I don't really listen to myself after I do these, these episodes, but I have gone back to listen to the original to assess um, really how horrible I was at podcasting um, and how I have not gotten that much better. So, you know, we, we're, we, I bring people on that challenge me, uh, including my guest co-host today, who, by the way, has his own podcast now under the Edup Experience brand um, that is going extremely well. And I will tell you guys, and I don't say this uh, in jest, I say it with all seriousness. If you want to learn something about higher ed, uh, you should listen to his podcast because I learn something every single time he does an episode. His name is Dr. Bill Pepicello, and he is the former president of the University of Phoenix. Yahoo! Oh, that was the wrong one, Bill. Um, it's, I'm supposed to do a gong for you, but I don't have it. How are you? Oh, I'm great, and I'm, I appreciate not getting gonged. It's good to be here with you again. Ah, uh, little did there you know. We little okay. did you know that it was going to happen. <laughs> um, so how is your podcast going, Bill? It, you know, the podcast is going great. I'm getting some uh, some good feedback uh, from it, and I'm particularly interested in uh, talking with our guest today because anyone who's interested in my take on what's going on in community colleges and workforce development and, and that sort of thing um, is welcome to, to come in. My, uh, my podcasts are always short, which is good, um, but uh, we're going to talk about some of the things that are most interesting in higher education today. Yes, your episodes are short but insightful. And that's because you're the guru of online learning, Bill. Uh, if you don't know it, then nobody knows it. Um, I'm excited uh, to bring our guest in, and I'm going to bring him in now. Uh, here he comes, ladies and gentlemen. He doesn't get a gong. He gets an applause. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, he's president and CEO of the Association of Community College Trustees, G. Hang Lee. G. Hang, what's going on? Oh, welcome. Hey, how are you guys doing? How are you doing? We're doing great. Great. Uh, we've got we've got you here, so we're doing great. How are you? Oh, we're doing good. Just you know, doing the normal uh, normal things in Washington D.C. 
I don't even know how to, yeah, I mean, (laughs) what would that look like? Break down your day of normal. No, don't do that. Uh, Jiheng, let's just, um, let's level set. Let's assume that uh, somebody has not heard of the Association of Community College Trustees before. Um, What do you guys do and how do you do it? And then we'll get into it from there. Okay. Uh, Well, thank you for one, number one, for inviting me to participate. Uh, A little uh, brief uh, background of my association. Uh, We are the Association of Community College Trustees. We represent the governing boards of the nation's community colleges. Uh, We also have some uh, international members of our associations. Our two focuses, our missions of our association uh, is number one is advocacy. So we're based in Washington, DC. We do federal advocacy on behalf of our community colleges. And number two, our second mission is focused around board education and ensuring that boards understand their roles and responsibilities, but also uh, providing boards information about some cutting edge uh, and best practices within the, the community college sector. Okay, so of course the first question, do, how has, let me try that again. How has board involvement evolved try to say that three times fast board involvement evolved bill i don't think you could do it uh but uh but how has it evolved as higher ed has has come into headwinds of declining enrollment coronavirus i feel like the coronavirus thing we don't have to talk directly about it because we've talked so much about it but it sure has sped up maybe education of trustees of senior leaders to say okay wait a second we got to do some things differently. How has board and trustee involvement evolved? Uh, I've been with our association for about 16 years. uh, And I can tell you when I first started with ACCT, a lot of the information that we provided to our trustees was very, um, you know, traditional. We wanted to provide uh, trustees with uh, paper, Basically, you know, you know, we we have a magazine that we haven't uh, gravitated away from, um, but there was a large speculation that our trustees would not be would not do well with uh, online and virtual learning opportunities. Uh, fast forward to 2022, what I can tell you is uh, the trustees are becoming more diverse. We're getting more women in the field. Uh, we're getting younger. Uh, I wouldn't say we're getting substantially younger, but one of the things that we are noticing, especially amongst our trustees, is that our trustees tend to work. They are not to retired individuals. Uh, so that has forced our association to kind of think about the learning opportunities that we are providing back to our membership. We can no longer just solely rely on in-person meetings, for an example, as a hallmark educational opportunity for our trustees. Our our physical events are well attended um, and we've been able to do an October event and a February event, uh, October of 21 and February of 2022 event in person. Uh, They were well attended, but not obviously on par with, uh, you know, I would say 2019 is kind of our benchmark because that's when pre-COVID. So I think that's the evolution that is occurring right now is that we, uh, so one of the things that we are branching out to do is to utilize an, um, uh, you know, online education as our backbone uh, to provide a basic educational experience for all trustees. Uh, and then uh, tailor some additional educational opportunities on top of that. Um, But we have seen significant shifts. Um, We are slated 
Uh, we do about a trustee survey about every 10 years of our community college sector and our next one will probably be done in 2025. So that's our next uh, status update on where our trustees are uh, in terms of demographics, in terms of educational level. And um, for any of you who want to be are interested in kind of looking, uh, we uh, our last one is called the Citizen Trustee Survey. It's on our website at acct.org. I like the plug, Bill. Over to you. Yeah, well, I'm. Uh... I actually um, serve as the chair of a board of trustees for a small uh, university, so I'm I'm very interested in what you've had to say, and you know I think one of the the hallmarks of um, boards in general is the notion of citizen governance, um, and as you're talking about the changing demographics, I wonder if you see any any difference in uh, in what's going on with the kind of citizenry you have uh, participating in the governance. Well, I would say uh, we are definitely having uh, younger uh, and individuals that are working, like I mentioned before. Uh, and you know, I would say in some of our community college areas. Uh, they are also getting individuals that might be politically motivated uh, beyond just uh, supporting their local community college. They might have future aspirations. Uh, that being said, uh, you know, I would say one third of our membership is appointed locally. One third is about state, and then one third are elected. So, you know, in terms of the context of elected, it's you know probably a fraction of our, uh, you know. Uh, what I'm talking about is just a certain percentage of our membership, but we are seeing, um, you know, and some of our community colleges are having some difficulty and they're getting called out by their accreditors in certain situations. And so those are situations that we're trying to help and support those institutions. No, thanks for that. I think a lot of people don't understand um, how boards uh, are you know how how they come into existence and what the different kinds of of them are so i think that's what? a good educational piece what i don't understand bill you're gonna have to fill me in well well i i don't have time there isn't right enough now. time in the day okay yeah. I, I knew that <laughs> one was coming but oh. i i'm, I'm oh, gonna go ahead. i'm gonna keep carrying the ball if i can for a minute um because i'm as i said i i address a lot of the issues that are that are central to what's happening in community colleges today in my podcast add up insights joe mm -hmm. in case you uh, you want to go there but one of them is uh, something that i know is is near and dear uh, to uh jihang's uh heart and that is aligning non-credit and credit programs and providing pathways for students from high school all the way through not just community college but then but then transfer and i know this is a uh, a real area of challenge for uh, for community colleges and thus for communities um, and i wonder if you could say a few words about uh, uh, your perspective on that yeah we have a a, a program a, a grant that's being funded by the ecmc foundation that's working with a number of uh, community colleges and systems uh, to uh, work with those institutions to uh, to align their non-credit programs with credit program with credit essentially to ensure that these individuals have an educational um, 
uh, I guess, uh, track record, so to speak. Uh, and I think one of the things that we, we were looking at in terms of kind of the enrollment patterns of community colleges is that obviously right now in 2022 uh, and fall of 2021 and fall of 2020, community calls experience significant enrollment losses, um, number one. Uh, you know, typical enrollment cycles for community colleges really do kind of overline uh, the, how the economy runs. The economy runs really well, our enrollments go down. If the economy runs really badly, our enrollments increase. So during the Great Recession, we saw a significant spikage in community college enrollment. Um, that being said, we did, we, you know, our non-credit programs have done relatively well, especially programs that have work-based learning. And uh, one of the things that we as an association are, are always interested in doing is supporting programs and highlighting efforts into one, getting people into the pipeline or in higher education. And number two, if you start on non-credits, you know, just not, you know, people are putting time and effort into the non-credit programs. And, it, you know, it's always been my perspective, you should get, they should be able to earn something so that it creates a pathway to, some type of credit attainment so that they can pursue an associate's degree. They can pursue a bachelor's degree at some point in time. Not saying that they will, but at least they get credit for what is, what is earned through this process. Um, and we also believe, you know, especially in these non-credit programs that are workforce-based, it, it uh, is able to recruit individuals, especially men, into higher education and especially men of color into higher education. That is, that is uh, two uh, demographics of students that we have seen significant slippage uh, since this, um, you know, candidly prior to the pandemic we saw a loss of male enrollment and especially male uh, men of color enrollment uh, at the start of the pandemic. So we're excited about that work. We're hopeful that this, you know, this type of uh, work will, will provide uh, information and highlight to our membership uh, so that they can pursue these opportunities uh, going forward and that th these opportunities can lead to additional educational opportunities for individual students. Ji Hang, what is when you get into a room or virtual room with a, a group of trustees, what's the burning items? What are the biggest concerns or areas of focus or um, po positive or concerning or could be areas of opportunity? But what are the themes that are really sticking out amongst the trusteeships across the country for community colleges that are just those pressing issues that are that need to be addressed? Uh, I would say, you know, I've been traveling quite a bit. I was, I've been, I was just last week in Washington State. I go to Kansas next week, the week after I'm in Illinois with our trustees. I was just in Oregon uh, the previous uh, month. Uh, I would say the things that our community college trustees are worrying about is two issues. Uh, number one is enrollment. Uh, they are worried about how their institutions are doing uh, in terms of enrollment. Uh, they're trying to, uh, and you know, college administrators are grappling with, uh, you know, the percentage loss of students, and figuring how to be intentional and how to get students back into the classroom or into registered onto an online program. Uh, so that's number one. Uh, subsequent to that, but not, and it's also related, is what is the financial impact 
of the loss of enrollment. So what we are seeing is uh, while many of the states are currently doing well on their state budgets, so for an example, I believe California announced that there was they had a $97 billion surplus, uh, which is phenomenal for the state of California, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the state will be able to provide X number of dollars on a continuing basis to our community colleges in that state, because this is obviously a one-year spike, maybe a two-year spike. So a lot of colleges are grappling with what happens when these stimulus dollars in the form of the HERF dollars that came down in the last three, three stimulus bills, um, and what, what will the impact be at the institutional level? So there, these are kind of hand and glove in so much that, you know, if enrollment was better, uh, I don't think colleges would be as worried about the financial impact of state, uh, state disinvestment or possible disinvestment. Um, but those are the two major overarching things that I get asked quite often, or we talk about continuously uh, when I- Yeah, and you know, I think that's really, really a good important point, the HER funds, because because it saved a lot of colleges, community colleges, private colleges, any college that, that got money. All of a sudden, you've got this balanced budget because of all the HERF funds that have come in. And next year, when those HERF funds go away, and all of a sudden, you're facing this multi-million dollar deficit, but your enrollment has either declined or stayed the same, you go, okay, wait a second. What are we going to do to fill this gap? And the realization sets in that a budget surplus or a budget even is now a budget deficit in the next year. And, and Maybe we didn't sit on, maybe we sat on the innovation uh, components too much, or maybe we didn't move as fast on other items to diversify the revenue stream. So it's going to create a lot of uncomfortable situations for colleges across the board, community colleges for sure, because of the, the great loss in enrollment. And you know what happens is a lot of times is expense reduction at that point where you have to deal with faculty and employees, and then you have lots of uh, visibility around those things from people who are upset that's got to be weighing on the minds of many presidents and trustees don't you think uh yes i think um if you look at any of our institutions that are having conversations with their collective bargaining units or uh or having conversations about possibly tuition increases uh these are all things that kind of come out in, in this part of the discussion Colleges are starting to, you know, will have to make some uh, tough decisions going forward, uh, especially if the state funds don't, um, and the, you know, match what it was previously, and or if if uh, enrollment doesn't rebound. Bill, yeah, yeah uh, one of the, I mean, funding is is a topic that comes up regularly on my podcast that's uh, add up insights joe um well done well done <laughs> and there are there are a couple of issues that i'd like to because they're all intertwined um one is certainly when we talk about uh, the business model of higher education in general and whether it's sustainable um my point of view is that it's it's not we need a much better business model um i'm looking at my own home state of arizona right now and we're seeing struggles between the community colleges and the four-year institutions because the four-year institutions want a bigger bite of the pie. Um, the community colleges are, uh, are looking uh, for funding for the very reasons that, uh, that you just mentioned. 
Oh, eight. Bill, did you forget to turn off your cell phone there? Yeah, yeah apparently I that did. That was a mistake by Dr. Bill Papicello. Attention. Attention. Bill Papicello with the mistake. I, I expect that when I listen to this, that will be edited out. Attention. In any event, um, you know, as, as we look at the um, the inequities in funding, and especially in a state like Arizona, and there were, there were other ones, it not just impacts the community college systems as, as a whole, but in Arizona, for instance, we have a lot of rural community colleges and the funding needs there are, uh, you know, much different from ones that are there in urban institutions. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, how do you see that, that playing out as we go forward to see if we can find a, uh, uh, some sort of, of way to level that playing field for funding? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, you, co you covered two distinct areas. Uh, let me cover the rural aspect first. Um, you know, ACCT has received funds from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to support our rural community colleges. And it, this is something that we have been working on for the last two years plus. Um, what, we what we have seen for many of our institutions um, you know, they have many of the issues that our urban communities have, like for example, example homelessness, food insecurity, mental health needs. Obviously, when COVID hit, uh, you know, many of our rural community colleges needed to ramp up and get an, an infrastructure in place, uh, of which uh, they might not have had that robust uh, broadband access network. Um, I think, you know, one, I think, Policymakers, and this is uh, these are this is going to be have to be intentional for like state leaders, is that state leaders need to figure out and support rural institutions. Uh, for example, we you know I was just with a rural community college president. Um, we were doing a meeting, and she got a phone call, and she just lost a key faculty member uh, who was leaving the area. Uh, and he was the only professor for this, you know, you know, a science program that the uh, science course that they had. So, and it's not like she could go out and find one overnight in her small rural community. And, but also on the flip side of this is that I, you know, I mentioned that I was in Oregon. I was at Bend, uh, Central Oregon Community College, which is in Bend, Oregon. Uh, that I was told the average home price in their community in Bend is $750,000. So, you know, while we have an expectation in certain areas like San Francisco and the Bay Area, LA, that their home prices are high because of the geographic area, think about filling a faculty tree administrative team in Bend, Oregon, when the average home price is $750,000. Yikes! So, uh, so I think those are things that, you know, policy makers need to be starting to grapple with as we start, fund, you know, as they fund higher education and especially public higher education. Um, the other thing you mentioned was just kind of the competitive nature of, you know, I would even say Arizona specifically is very competitive. Uh, our community college in Tucson, Pima Community College, uh, they obviously have ASU, they have ASU Global, they have Southern New Hampshire University there also. 
and it is obviously significantly competitive uh, in that community. And, the high red Mecca, right? And then yes, it is. Grand uh, Canyon and yeah, there's yeah. all sorts of them in there. Yes. Uh, so it is very competitive. Um, but I think, you know, the, the leadership of Pima is focused around ensuring that they are meeting the community needs, whatever that may be, uh, whether they're, whether or not it is, uh, I believe they just started a new, um, pilot program, uh, air pilot program for their, for students in their community to other programs that might be more aligned to workforce base. Uh, I always tell colleges, you know, you know, you should always think about what your mission is and your mission is always focused on what the community needs are, whether or not that is dual enrollment, whether or not that's an associate's degree, whether or not that's credit workforce programs or non-credit workforce programs, or even adult basic education programs. Unmuddle's mission is to provide learners, particularly working learners, with multiple pathways to learning and development with clear signaling as to the time, cost, and uncertainty of each. Unmuddle is powered by community colleges, particularly innovative community colleges, to provide a skills-to-job marketplace. Come join the nation's top community college network today. To get started, go to unmuddle.com slash colleges. That's U-N-M-U-D-L dot com slash colleges. Anthology Together is one of the world's largest education events, bringing faculty and administrators together to share best practices, testimonials, and creative solutions using technology. Join your university colleagues for a week of networking and learning at the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin Resort in Orlando, Florida, this July. Of course, uh, Pima Community College President Lee Lambert, one of the most innovative community college presidents in, in the land, a great guy. He was actually one of our, I don't know, he must have been in the first set of community college presidents, maybe the fifth or sixth community college president we interviewed here on the podcast. And, um, you know, he talked about it too, just the incredible competition, um, the, the, the mission of community colleges, the workforce, uh, in, in, but doing it in a very highly competitive area, how much more innovative he has to be. And I know um, they've, they've um, Lee and others have partnered up to do all sorts of things to back certain companies that are helping with community college marketplace ideas like Unmuddle as a company that they are in, uh, involved with. And we've interviewed Parminder uh, Yassel here. Uh, she's CEO of Unmuddle a couple of times where they're community college marketplace. And so you see community colleges doing these innovative business things that they didn't used to do to try to get a leg up. Um, which has been interesting because it's bringing a lot of innovation forward. Yeah, and, and one thing I'd like to, to emphasize, uh, Jihang, that you brought up uh, that always sort of um, uh, strikes note with me is mission. Because one of the things as I talk to not just community college people, but four-year uh, institutions here and the community, because um, I've worked closely with uh, the Economic Council here for a number of years in Phoenix, is that I think on, on a more regular basis, all institutions need to review their mission um, because there's a, a great opportunity for mission creep these days. Um, and I think people can sort of lose sight of, of what it is that they really wanna be doing. Uh, I, yes, I, I, I tend to think uh, our community college sector stays in their collective role a little bit better. Obviously, 
none of none of our institutions uh, uh, stri are striving to become research one institutions. So. <laughs> but are they are they striving to become four year institutions? Uh, well, I, I think you know it, it's a movement that's occurring. I believe uh, I want to say over twenty states and in the country are offering bachelor's degrees. Uh, states like Michigan and California are most re recent entries. Uh, they are providing bachelor's degrees that aren't aligned to other bachelor's degrees in their community. Uh -huh. um, that's number one. Um, you know, they are, I know those two states specifically are working to get a bachelor's degree in nursing uh, as, a, as an example. And, you know, there's significant demand for nursing degrees out in the community. And I think in this context, you know, given how we've uh, fared in the pandemic with a loss of a number of uh, nursing and the high cost of travel nurses uh, in, and that its impact on the healthcare sector, it's probably a good idea to have as many operators in the bachelor space for nursing if possible. Well, I got to tell you guys, um, Bill, you know what time it is. Jihang, you don't, uh, but you're going to find out here. And it is time, ladies and gentlemen, for another episode of Higher Ed Word Association. There we go. This is where, Jihang, I give you a word or set of words, higher education related, and you've got to react to it. Tell me what's on your mind, what you think. No planning here. Uh, okay. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Bill the first one so that you can prepare. All right. And Bill, are you ready? I, hey, I am ready because last time I lost and I, I really appreciated the lovely parting gifts. All right, Bill, here we go. Shared governance. Wow. Shared governance. It's in, it goes, I think, back to something I was talking about earlier, and that is the, the business model. Um, and I think if, if we're looking at, at shared governance in, in higher education, we can look to the business world for, for some, uh, some models or some templates there that would help us bring the, the current shared governance model in higher ed closer to the, the business model. And by that, and I'll be crass, and why not? Because that's sort of the way I am. You're tired, um, you can do whatever you want. I, thank you. And that is when, when you bring the employees into the governance, I think it's it's different in in a in a business atmosphere than it is in higher education, um, and it, we we need to figure out how to get the participation on on a more collegial level. Bill, once you told me the the best uh, the best committee was a committee of three when two people called in sick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you told me that, but I feel like you it, you could have said that. I probably could have, yeah. So maybe I read it in your book, uh, Leadership <laughs> on the Field of Play. Who knows? Uh, Ji Hang, shared Available governance. Available on Amazon, by the way. Uh, that's right. <laughs> Ji Hang, shared governance. Uh, you know, for me, shared governance kind of just uh, denotes uh, that there are uh, avenues and pathways for various uh, stakeholders to provide guidance and recommendations to any type of structure, whether or not that's the board, uh, that might be, that might, you know, that might serve as a form of, you know, uh, whether or not that's part of a search committee, for example, for a new president, you know, having different stakeholders as part of that initial search firm, uh, search 
group uh, that recommends a set of finalists. Um, so that's kind of what I think of shared governance is just like ensuring that there is a pathway for recommendations. Uh, I would say those that those recommendations might not always be taken, but it just uh, does allow uh, those stakeholders to provide input. And I think that's something that's important is sometimes people feel like just because they provided input, they should input should be taken mm -hmm. uh, and follow through on. Well, you know, but you know, just because you provided input might not, you know, you might have been five other people or five other groups might have given the exact opposite recommendation. So I just think that that's just something that I would just do as a word of caution that just because you just said something, it's not the gospel. So. Mm, well, I like this. See how, see how much fun this can be, Chiang? All right. <laughs> here live, recorded on the experience, shared with the world. Um, all right, here we go. Jihang, next one to you. You can get to choose. Mm -hmm. Higher ed partnerships or mergers and acquisitions? Uh, well, I probably would. Let's do higher ed uh, partnerships. Okay, go. Higher ed partnerships. Oh, partnership. Okay. Okay. Um, it's like multiple choice, but you chose oh, one. Oh, yeah. Okay. 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 Sorry. Word association. Um, you know, for me, higher ed partnerships is like, for an example, uh, I just, uh, we just had some students uh, that uh, came and visited us from uh, Central Michigan University. Uh, one of our former trustees uh, teaches a course on political science. He brought some of his students to Washington, D.C. Uh, these students at Central Michigan were documenting some of the partnerships uh, Central M Michigan University has with some of our community colleges, especially around credit articulation and ensuring that there's no credit loss uh, when uh, our student who comes from Lansing Community College or Mott Community College doesn't lose credits when they transfer to Central Michigan University. I think those type of partnerships are important because um, obviously, you know, the flip side of that is I also then heard like certain other institutions that might be part of a football conglomerate in Michigan uh, would not take those credits and would have required those individual students to uh, retake those courses, even though they obviously passed those courses and wanted to bring them in, but they were be going to be forced to retake those. Bill, higher ed partnerships or mergers and acquisitions? Ooh, well, I don't think those two are necessarily mutually exclusive, uh, but to start with, um, uh, with the partnerships, I see that sort of as a, as a wheel with a number of, of spokes coming out of the hub. Uh, and I'd say that in many ways, community colleges are, are at the center of that because the, the partnerships have to go in a, a wide range of, of areas. You've got businesses in the local community. You have other institutions, um, not just in transfer of credits, which I think is, is really important. And that's a a topic for for another time let me cross uh, out my transfer credit higher ed word association that was next bill thank you okay <laughs> sorry about that um i just read your mind joe but i i think you know all of those kinds of partnerships are uh are, are things that in many communities uh, the community college system drives and i think that leads to mergers and acquisitions because 
those are, are, are kinds of partnerships that are happening primarily at four-year institutions now, but I think we're gonna see them more generally where institutions are, uh, smaller institutions are going to merge with larger institutions or online program management uh, companies are, uh, are going to merge with institutions. We've seen that sort of thing at Grand Canyon. We've seen it at the University of Arizona. Um, so I think those two things might eventually become part of one larger area in higher education. Okay, this is going to be a curveball. I've not done anything like this on Hired Word Association. And mm -mm. reminding the, the reminding the contestants here that uh, this is not a political podcast, and that it is a higher education related podcast. Okay, Hang, Dr. Jill Biden. Uh, Dr. Jill Biden. Uh, it's a word association. Yes, higher ed related. Okay. Right? Uh, she's a passionate uh, spokesperson for our institution, but probably even more passionate spokesperson for her students and uh, some of the plights of her students uh, that are, you know, she documents a lot of the struggles that her students are having, especially around basic needs, uh, juggling family and work life. Uh, so uh, that's what I would say, but she is definitely uh, you know, significant champion around higher education and the importance of pursuing higher education um, and college attainment. Bill, Dr. Jill Biden. Okay, we'll start with a fun fact. Uh, Jill Biden has uh, degrees from University of Delaware, which probably shouldn't surprise anyone. Mm -hmm. uh, she was in the English department uh, in the education program while I was teaching there. Um, Amazing. And while I didn't actually teach her, she was she was part of the cohorts that uh, that I influenced, and uh, I I uh, subsequently had the chance to to meet her um, in Washington several years ago. We were there. Um, the University of Phoenix was awarding Teacher of the Year awards, and I had a chance to talk to her. And you should have seen her face when I told her that <laughs> I was at University of Delaware at the same time. Now, as to um, her, her place, I know that she is a, a passionate um, uh, advocate for her students. And I think in some ways she's been given sort of a really tough uh, road to hoe because you know she is a champion of uh, free college, for instance. Um, and again, on one of my podcasts, I talk all about free, free college. And you know it's, it's really at this point, I think uh, a rather frustrating position to be in because there's not there's not a good model out there for what free college ought to be, although it's a great idea. And so I think she's she's a great philosophical champion for higher ed in general and for uh, community colleges uh, in particular because she continues to teach uh, there in Virginia. Um, so I, I'm hoping that, you know, if nothing else, she at least has the opportunity to plant some seeds while she's uh, the, the first lady. Yeah, you know, the reason I brought that up is because I think her her advocacy for community colleges brought a lot of necessary and welcome attention to America's community colleges and the mm -hmm. role that they play in educating the workforce. Uh, it's like sometimes you're looking for a, a, a endorsement almost, and she really provided a built-in endorsement of America's community colleges. I have to say, Bill, 
um, this uh, this goose was cooked uh, basically before we started Higher Ed Word Association for your um, mistake with the cell phone ringer earlier. So immediately you, you lost our, the winner of this Higher Ed Word Association is Ji Hang. All right, Bill, over to you. Yeah, well, you can. Uh, and, and sorry that you lost. I mean, you know, it's like a losing streak now you have. Yeah, well, I know that. But there's no need to lie about it. You enjoy watching me lose. And I'm, I'm <laughs> never going to hear the end of the cell phone. So false. When you, when you make true. your next mistake, be ready. Um, um, every every episode, my friend, go ahead. And yeah, and Jihang, you can you can expect that uh, your uh, your winnings will arrive at your house sometime within the next week, ten days. Um, it, it'll be a, a small box. Be careful when you open it. It might be an empty envelope because we have no money here at the Ed Experience. Okay, yeah, that's right. Uh, I, one other topic that I'd, I'd like to just sort of get to, because again, I think it's something that the community colleges drive more than, than any place else, and that's adult basic education. Mm. Um, one of my last uh, podcasts, I can't get enough of these, uh, these ads in today, is, is about remediation and about how we need to make sure that everyone who comes into the higher ed community gets taken from where they are when they get there to where we need them to be. Um, and I know that community colleges bear the brunt of that. And that's that's another very, very frustrating area. Yes, uh, I would say adult basic education uh, is, and you know, specifically, uh, you know, remedial courses. And, uh, you know, I know that many of our institutions have, uh, are no longer using AccuPlacer, for an example, as a chief barometer of uh, the status and what type of courses you need to get through uh, remediation. Um, it is it is tough, but, you know, I think a number of our colleges are starting to utilize different type of programs, uh, one of which I, I know that a lot of colleges are, are, are focusing around, especially those individuals that are uh, coming from high school is like summer bridge programs, specifically mm -hmm. around math, especially math. Uh, many states have a requirement that high school students have to do three years of math. Uh, so not to say I was a high school slacker, I, I was not a high school slacker, but you know, some high school seniors may not choose to take a math course their senior year, so they front load their math. And so requiring or getting, you know, having someone take an active place around math and calculus, pre-calculus, essentially a year and a half since the last time they took any type of math uh, seems a little far-fetched and they're, they're prone to not uh, to do as well as they want to do. So colleges are doing some efforts to ensure that students are geared up to start classes specifically in certain areas, uh, just, just kind of, you know, educate up, so to speak. I do, you know, you talked about adult basic education. It is one of the things that, you know, we are open access institutions and the community require, asks of us to do adult basic education. Uh, if you take a look at the marketplace right now of higher education, where uh, we were collectively down, um, you know, you know, we're, you know, community call sector was down over 10% in 2020. Uh, you know, we, we were, we were under 10% this year. 
you know, even our four-year partners, uh, four-year public and four-year privates were down last year in fall of 2021. That means fewer students are matriculating to college. Uh, we are concerned that, you know, whenever these individuals do come back to college at some point in time, uh, they will, you know, they will likely have to come to us. Uh, you know, we're happy to take them, uh, but it just provides uh, a little bit more work ahead of us uh, to ensure that these individuals are served and, uh, uh, and oriented to academic success. Um, and I would, you know, Bill, you mentioned something, uh, you know, and uh, and Joe, you mentioned this, uh, you know, when when we just briefly talked about Dr. Biden, you know, I think one of the most important data points that came out of the National Student Clearinghouse, and it came out a couple of years ago, uh, stated that the the majority of all individuals who received a bachelor's degree had community college credits, uh, and it, you know, for us, you know. It's not to say that we should take full credit for everybody who gets, we should take full credit for everybody who got an associate's degree, who got a certificate at a community college, but it just shined a spotlight on a role that our institutions do that we don't get any credit for. Um, you know, these are students that either are duly enrolled in a four-year institution and at the community college that come to us to hyper-accelerate through their bachelor's program. Mm -hmm. And it really just kind of, you know, if you think about it, it's like, wow, that's a significant number. And we talked about, well, you know, our community colleges are doing bachelor's programs, but it's a small fraction, you know, comparatively to the four-year sector. So I just thought that was something that was really illustrative of our role and magnitude. And I think sometimes policymakers don't understand the full scope and nature of the power of our sector. You know, that's a really good point. And then I'll throw it back to you, Joe. I just, I just want to emphasize that those kinds of programs where you get dual enrollment or you can take credits while you're in high school, they're not new. I actually was in one of those in the 60s. You remember the 60s, Joe? 1860s? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> something like that. Um, Stop. And, it, you know, I earned 12 or 15 credits um, through the local community college while I was still in high school. And you're right, you get no credit for that, um, even though those programs have existed for a long time. And, you know, it's, it's also it's partly on the responsibility of the student, right? Because when we graduate from an institution, we advocate for it right if you if you're a transfer student and you graduate from your four year and it happens to be Linwood University where of course I work you you go oh yeah I graduated from Lindenwood and, and there has to be a ownership and, and and proud moment for students who've completed that associate's degree um, who have taken those credit to say you know what without that community college experience at so-and-so community college I would have never been able to do it so so much of it is on on awareness and marketing and um, making students see that the, the longevity of their their higher ed journey started somewhere and that they sort of got it how to pay it back 
and so that's that's I've, I've heard a lot of community college presidents talk about that that you know there's just this part where they want people to feel proud of and maybe now finally that that stigma is being eliminated of the community college being the 13th grade the 13th grade and all that kind of stuff that there is more proud moments for community college graduates than there ever has been but we want to close this episode g hang with the same two questions we ask of every guest number one uh g hang um what do we need to say about ACCT that hasn't been said? Anything you have going on, anything coming up, any announcements that you want to make here live on the Inup Experience at all? Um, and number two, what do you see as the future of higher education? Uh, I, I guess uh, what, I, what I can tell you now, uh, since it'll probably go live, this I don't know when this podcast will go live, but uh, in early June, we'll be announcing uh, the creation of a Center for Policy and Practice within ACCT. Uh, this will be the hub of our grant activity uh, of our association uh, that provides best practices and works with institutions to support them in different efforts. Like I mentioned, uh, the non-credit to uh, credit alignment. Um, uh, so that's number one. Uh, other things that we're working on is, you know, what we haven't mentioned is we're thinking creatively about how to support students through their educational journey and thinking about the type of programs and offerings they're taking. So one of our signature advocacy uh, advocacy movements that we're doing right now is around short-term PAL and ensuring that students that are taking uh, programs between 150 to 600 clock hours are able to get federal financial aid for those programs that are more workforce-based. And so we're excited to do that, uh, that kind of advocacy within Washington, DC. Um, and, you know, I think the future of higher education, I, I you know, um, it's, it's a it's a definitely a complicated crystal ball as we have newer and bigger players coming into the world. Um, if you would have told me, for an example, in 2006 when I started at ACCT, we would have, um, you know, signature flagship institutions like ASU, University of Arizona, Purdue University coming into this kind of global marketplace with their own global campuses, uh, I would have, you know, I would have probably said, oh, well, there's already these players in the field, you know, there's an oversaturation. Uh, that being said, I think, you know, there's a significant role and responsibility of the nation's community colleges, because whenever you look at any type of brand work, uh, brand polling of, of within higher education, uh, all the all the uh, literature I've seen relative to that polling information, community colleges rank number one because they have brand recognition amongst their community. Uh, they know who you know their spouse or their sister or cousin nephew uh, went to a local community college, and they also know they have uh, connections back to that public institution. I was just at Dabney Lancaster Community College for their 60th anniversary. Uh, a state Dabney trooper. Lancaster. That's isn't that uh, uh, John uh, John, Rainone. John Rainone. Rainone, Yeah, he yeah. he was the second ever community college president we interviewed on this podcast. Yes. And I just tech, I just was having a message with him yesterday. Yes. So John's college uh, just celebrated their 60th anniversary, and I went down there, uh, and they they received a phone call from uh, you know uh, 
uh, from somebody who was alerting the institution that they needed to use their facility for a funeral uh, for a state trooper that had passed away. And it shows case, you know, that's, that's the role and responsibility of our public community colleges that, you know, whenever the community needs something from them, uh, they were working, uh, you know, diligently to ensure that uh, space was available for uh, something as sad as that. But it's also just an opportunity for our community colleges to showcase uh, the role and responsibility of meeting the needs of our, uh, our communities. Uh, you know, April was community college month. Uh, and um, uh, we talk about we talked about the community of community colleges. Uh, and I think that's a really important piece of this puzzle and ensuring that uh, the long term viability of our community colleges, but it is not getting easier. This marketplace <laughs> is getting way more competitive. And, but colleges need to be thinking about all their offerings and ensuring that they're meeting that demand. Well, with things getting harder, trustees have to get even more educated about the trends and uh, movement within higher education in order to keep up and, and so that they can advise and, and uh, have the fiduciary responsibility over their institutions and move presidents forward. I mean, there's just a lot. There's a lot of responsibility on on all of us to make sure that higher ed uh, persists through all of these uh, difficult issues. Somebody that continues to persist in higher education is, of course, is my co-host today, Dr. Bill Papicello. Thank you, Joe. It's been now, a Bill, if you didn't plug your podcast enough, I'd like to give you just one more opportunity to do so right now. Attention. Well, sure, everyone. Be sure to tune in to EdUp Insights drops every Monday with a, uh, a new episode. And I think you'll find that not only is it short, so it'll hold your attention, uh, but we'll cover a lot of interesting topics. And I'd like to talk more, Joe, but uh, as you know, I got to take a phone call. <laughs> I love it. Of course, my guest today um, uh, needs no introduction. He needs no outro, but we're going to give him one anyway. Here he is again. His name is G. Hang Lee, and he is the president and CEO of the Association of Community College Trustees. G. Hang, how was your EdUp experience today? It was fun. I enjoyed the gong. You did? Oh, okay. <laughs> On the way out. There we go. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just EdUped. Unmuddle helps your community college to drive enrollments and revenue. Community colleges help with workforce development programs to compete on a national and global scale, offering those services to employers. It's time for a new era in higher education. Check out Unmuddle at unmuddle.com slash colleges and claim your college for free. Anthology is leading the next wave of ed tech innovation and unlocking student success on an entirely new scale. Ready to take a closer look at what's next in the future of learning? Join fellow faculty and higher ed experts for Anthology Together, one of the world's largest education events, taking place next month at the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin Resort in Orlando, Florida. Anthology Together features some of the most innovative professionals from the global education community sharing insights and best practices for institutional and learner success, both inside and outside of the classroom. Register today and attend tailored sessions on topics like creating more dynamic courses for your learners and strategic decision-making across recruitment, admissions, and enrollment. 
The time is now. Visit www.anthology.com together and reserve your spot before the event kicks off on July 11th.